Today is February 15th, 2023. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki, Naganago, Mekoche, Chestokom Aki, or Dakots Nogotine Siku. Hi, my name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Great Bear Lake tribe in Treaty 11. My name, Dakots Nogotine, um, that is a poor translation, as my Satu Dene elder would say. He'd say, ah, oh, you Southerners, you put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllables. <laughs> my people wore rabbit skin, so it's been referred to the land of the hair people. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Klincho Tene Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning many big dog town, named after the Calgary Stampede. I was born mm -hmm. in Calgary, or in Blackfoot, Mokinstis, as Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. Through my father, I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having a Canadian Indian Act imposed status card, which is a colonial construct by Canadian policies meant to divide Indigenous people's inherent rights. Indigenous Two-Spirit or the Indigenous 2S LGBTQ plus community and Indigenous women are at the bottom of the Canadian socioeconomic ladder because of the colonial trauma imposed poverty, racism, gendered violence, and land theft. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous. I just share my journey as I walk down the red road. As a Dene woman who's attempted to run after joining harmful colonial parties, spent money to be at expensive conventions, left my home to travel to those conventions just to vote on incomplete policies that still allow for incarceration, a denial of just, justice, a denial of health services, racism, colonial trauma, and genocide of Indigenous and Black peoples, I have work to continue, reports to advocate for, and attempt to work within these systems meant to harm me and my community. I think of all of this today as we honor the many Black lives lost for the so-called country named Canada. I hope you see your role in the importance of stopping harm and as a citizen see your role in reconciliation and as a treaty partner. Pride Month should never be one month. It's important to understand the straight agenda and gendered violence was and is forced on these lands by Christian outsiders. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous as well as honoring the host as a guest, acknowledging your role as a treaty partner in a so-called time of reconciliation. It's important land acknowledgements have meaning. I encourage you to introduce yourself with uh, an acknowledgement of your ancestors, story of displacement, how you perceive your role as a treaty partner, a citizen of Canada, a refugee, or other land displacement. So we as Indigenous people know how safe you are to be around. If you don't know how to pronounce your local Indigenous nations names, won't say your pronouns, won't say your story of origin, won't acknowledge stolen lands, won't acknowledge imposed economic oppression or your role in reconciliation, I determine how safe you are to be around my community, myself, my family. Understanding land acknowledgements and their importance is Indigenous 101 because it immediately addresses colonialism, oppression dynamics, broken treaties, and lies taught today in Canadian schools nationally. That's why settlers and those who call themselves Native Calgarians or whatever town you're from, show me you have no Indigenous 101 understanding. Just say, book, uh, just say Wente's book, Unreconciled, explains all of this perfectly, as do many Indigenous authored books. Land Back is a movement that could save the planet from climate change created by colonialism, but it would be a part of that treaty partnership, part of meaningful reconciliation and honoring global initiatives like the United Nations Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. I honor the Blackfoot. As the elders and the members have been kind to me on my Red Road journey, Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Blackfoot, and Leonard Kenny taught me how to pronounce my name in Satu Dene. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot and Dene elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. I'm speaking to you on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet, and north of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Wesley Chiniki and Bearspaw Chiefs of the Stony Nation, and the Dene from Sutina. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status, and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. 
My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you, previous donors, for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you to those who cannot afford to give. I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or questions. Also, giving a review helps in whatever medium you are listening from. I have a YouTube channel. You can go and subscribe, and you can go to nativecalgarian.com for any of the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. So with that, I would like to introduce my friend who agreed to come on to this. We were going to talk about some pretty serious issues. So I'm going to let her introduce herself in her way, and then we'll do a trigger warning and content warning. Thank you, Michelle. My name is Bren Little Light. I am from the Blackfoot Confederacy, Sixth Gun Nation. I am part of the Heimbull clan. Um, I'm going to try to attempt to say my Blackfoot name. It is Siksapyaki. It was given to me from my great grandmother. And what it means is a black woman. And uh, just recently, I just uh, came back to our reserve uh, at the age of 20. I'm now almost 60. So not recently, I guess 40 years, but it just feels like it was recently. Um, so I was part of the 60 scoop and um, took a lot, it took a lot of toll on me. And I have my own consultant company. So I work with industry, government, First Nations. And I also do my advocacy work. I've done a lot of advocacy work for the housing, indigenous homelessness, um, opiates crisis, what's going on with uh, the overrepresentation within the prisons. And I was in the legal field before I went into uh, business. Uh, a lot of times I do get approached to uh, speak on things. And um, I always warn people when I do speak on anything, I am very upfront and very blunt. And a lot of times I do, especially when I'm doing conferences in front of a big industry, I will do a mic drop um, just to you know show that I'm not gonna be silenced. I was silenced for so many years as a 60 scoop survivor. Uh, the people that adopted me, um, you know, really indoctrinated me into the Christianity and my goodness, getting out of that was probably one of the hardest things that I ever went through. And, you know, I'm part of, I'm doing my healing journey right now. And so this is a really good subject because one of the things that really gave peace to me was going to ceremony, was going to, you know, uh, I don't sweat because I'm a Blackfoot woman, um, but going to all these different, um, like, uh, night lodges and stuff like that. And, uh, going to my spiritual advisors or my elders or knowledge keepers. And so they have been the one that been able to give me that peace. And also when I speak in loud, uh, large crowds, I always say, I don't want to live in trauma anymore. I'm done. I'm done. And I now have my voice and, uh, I'm going to use that voice. I'm going to use it for my indigenous sisters because a lot of times they don't they don't have the strength I, I sometimes find and I, I do everything to build them up to get that strength um, and they've been tone deaf for so long and the good thing about me is I have a big platform and I'm able to address so sometimes I'd like to speak for people that are unfortunately aren't able to speak and I want to thank you Michelle for letting me come on here and talk about this this topic right now, um, I sit here angry. I sit here frustrated. Mm -hmm. I sit here going, you know, this should have been addressed a long time ago. How many women have come forward and no one would listen to them? Yeah. I'm going to deal with that anymore. Yeah. So thank you. Oh, no, thank you. I'm really glad that you wanted to come and talk about this. Um, so for our audience, we're going to be talking about a very heavy subject today. We're going to be talking about um, sexual assault. We're going to be talking about rape. We're going to be talking about incest. We're going to be talking about child sex. Um, and these are really hard topics. So I highly recommend that if you're not in the emotional state to listen to this one, don't. And um, and for those who will, there will be resources afterwards. Um, every podcast I have, I give 1-800 numbers. I'm going to promote Awuton Healing Lodge. Uh, they have two 
numbers that you can call if you're feeling over over um, emotional from listening to this. And uh, hopefully that gave you enough time to turn this one off if this one is not for you. So just to give folks background, um, for years, Indigenous women have been telling uh, all of Canada, all of the awful atrocities that have happened to us sexually, um, while in Indian residential schools, in uh, the 60s scoop child welfare, in policing, in the law, in the jails, there is not a place we have not had absolute colonial trauma imposed on us, thanks to government policy. And as a result, we've had to been forced to heal and we have to heal without resources and we have to help each other. And that's why I have, I'm having Bren on today because I think it's important that two Indigenous women talking about the violence that we've constantly had to come across is, is talked about and exposed, that especially the day after um, we had the Valentine's Day marches nationally. So in Calgary here, there was a release by Sutina police uh, saying that if you've been harmed or hurt by Nathan Chasing Horse to please contact them because now they are willing and open to hearing more from sexual assault survivors, cult survivors, um, child children who have been harmed by sexual assault. And I'm, I say that now because people have been actually telling the police for years and, you know, the way the law is set up, they won. Um, ignore Indigenous voices, they ignore Indigenous women's voices, the law does not protect us in any capacity, and then um, they just didn't want to believe, you know, and th there's that that issue now of, you know, believe her, I would argue that's not really happening because we're seeing, you know, the opposite come from that, but whatever, it doesn't matter. What does matter is that if you've been hurt by Nathan Chasing Horse, Sutina Police and the Calgary Police are, are agreeing that yes, we wanna hear what happened. And um, he's being charged in the States right now. And a lot of his victims are starting to feel strong enough to talk about what had happened to them after likely being dismissed more on more than one occasion and worse ostracized from their family for having the audacity to speak up. And, um, you know, and there's not, culturally appropriate resources in shelters in uh, for victim services, nothing like there's nothing for us. So it is only our organizations, indigenous led organizations that somewhat can help. And even then, sometimes we have enough internalized racism that we don't even help ourselves that well. So, you know, this is an imposed um, system. This is imposed racism and we are trying desperately to survive this. So uh, Bren wanted to talk about this with me and I thought it was really important because one, she's Blackfoot, two, she's an essay survivor and there's a lot to unpack and especially with the legal background, I thought it was important to have you on Bryn and talk about this in the way that you wanted to talk about it. And uh, yeah, so trauma-informed consent, obviously I also want to extend to you. We can text talk anytime after this because sometimes these conversations are really difficult, but What's important is that our, you know, girls, women, two-spirit who might be hearing this, that they feel confident to come and talk to us, or at least the police or somebody in their life, in the hopes that we can build this case against this fellow who has been harming our, our children and our girls for, for years, unfortunately. So, Bryn, I'd like to pass the mic to you and, and tell us a little bit about how you'd like to talk about this. Thank you, uh, Michelle. When it first came to light um, a couple of weeks ago, I was watching the news and was just like frustrated because I'm gonna start from how I knew of him. Um, I knew of him from Dances of Wolves, of course, but years later, like years and years later, I think it was back in 2017, 2018, I was at a powwow at, in Saskatchewan. And I was with some people there and they, you know, said to me, Bren, look, there's Nathan Chasing Horse. And I'm like, who? And they're like, you know, um, from uh, Dance with Wolves. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And they said, he's over there with all his wives. And I'm like, wives? And so I was watching him and his wives. And I'm looking around going, 
why isn't people noticing this is so wrong? And what I was noticing about the wives were, to me, they almost seemed like slaves. They did everything for him. And I'm sitting there going, this is so wrong. So once this case started to come up, I started to think about all these different things. Um, so there's different perspectives that I wanna go through while we do this podcast. The perspective of the medicine man, the perspective of um, um, indigenous men not really saying anything. So I'm gonna be stepping a lot of, on toes on this one. Um, Happy to, to be that um, mechanism, let me tell you, because they need mm -hmm. speaking to. Yeah. You know, I I I I called out someone one time uh, and said, you know, you're walking around with that moose hide pin. Take it off. Take it off. Because what you just did to me and these other people, you have no right to wear that. Yeah. Um, and I guess the other is from an essay survivor, too. So when I was scooped, uh, part of the 60 scoop, I did go back to my reserve when I was at the age of 20, was very confused. Uh, the people that I went to were Mennonite brethren, um, and they were also uh, really into the Christian world. Um, I wasn't allowed to go to Stampede. I wasn't allowed to go to Powell's. I wasn't allowed to do anything with my identity. And a lot of things that they were saying to me, and you kind of touched a little bit on it about the two-spirited and stuff like that. The stuff that they were saying to me about the two-spirited and uh, just really messed me up because I couldn't understand what they were saying. What they were saying to me was the people, you know, the reason why people go that lifestyle is something happened to them and it's a sin. And, you know, years later, I'm sitting there going, Everything that they said to me was so wrong, was so, you know, and it took a lot for me, and I'm still working on it now through my healing journey. It took a lot for me to get out of all, you know, like they pounded it into my head. I was in church and church events, um, Pioneer Girls, youth group, Bible study, Sunday school, church, 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 church. And they even sent me to a, a school in Saskatchewan um, where we went to church morning, noon, and evening. The women, the girls sat on one side, the boys sat on, on another. And we weren't allowed to be close to each other other than, you know, not closer than a ruler. And they would measure our, our dresses to make sure that they were at a certain length. Anything higher than a knee, no, it was bad. So it was always put into my head, all of these stuff are bad. And so once I started to do, you know, went back to the reserve and, you know, start to reconnect, started to get to know my family, start to understand stuff. It did take a while. Um, there was addictions in, in there for me. It took a while for me to get out of that. Um, but I started to go into the ceremony. Um, as a Blackfoot woman, I, I'm not allowed to sweat. But other ones I went to, medicine picking, all the different, um, I went to a couple of uh, ceremonies uh, down in the Bloods, even in Saskatchewan. And that's where uh, the lady over there gave me a Cree name, Sundance Woman. I love the color yellow, as you can tell. Um, it looks fabulous on you, FYI. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, so just being a sponge to it all. And it gave me peace. I finally found peace. And I was so happy because for years I lived in trauma. I was, you know, if there was, if my life was going really good, I was to the point where I'm like, I don't deserve this. This shouldn't be happening to me. So I would create trauma because mm -hmm. I'm so used to that. What a way to live. I know. And, and it's really like, it's pervasive. So that's mm -hmm. why I think when we talk about being trauma-informed, 
um, you know, my last podcast talked about um, uh, political parties not being trauma informed. So I have no concept and understanding of what it is that Indigenous women in this woman's case was were facing. And, uh, you know, as a vet, as a person with a disability, like it, it, it was a pretty extensive conversation. And when people aren't trauma informed, they don't understand when people, you know, may self-sabotage in some capacity or just unable to experience happiness. I had some jackhole who's like a predominant um, activist say to me, well, you're such a Debbie Downer, kind of that, that frame. And I'm like, tell me you're not trauma-informed and you don't understand Indigenous issues without telling me. So I think it is important that you brought that up so that our listeners who are non-Indigenous, who don't experience oppression like we do, who don't know what it's like to be told you're a piece of crap your entire life, they don't know what internalized racism, internalized pain, internalized suffering is that we have to face. And that is why being trauma-informed is so important. So I'm, I'm grateful you brought that up. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, I have people that I go to. So it's it's always a male. It's, it's the husband and wife, always. And usually a lot of times I'm talking to the wife and she'll ask me permission if it's okay if the husband comes in and talks to me on you know certain issues and i really respect that and i think the reason why she she does that is because i'm an essay survivor you know i don't trust men you know i'm scared sometimes of them so i'm glad that she does that and so when all this started to happen there was a moment there michelle a moment when all this stuff was happening with Nathan, where they're bringing it to light that he was a medicine man, you know, doing all the, you know, doing ceremonies. There was a moment there where I was like doubting. That is where I'm angry. I'm so angry on that because I finally found peace. I finally found, you know, where I, I feel safe and where I can address certain things. And then having this man do this made me doubt it and then I'm thinking to myself if I'm doubting this what about all these other women that are yeah. finally going on their healing journey and finally you know um releasing and talking about what happened to them they're gonna have to doubt too uh, they don't understand how much damage this is happening because of what's going on here mm -hmm. and what frustrated me the most was a lot of people knew this was going on, but never said anything. Yeah. Both indigenous and non-indigenous. Yeah. And on the indigenous side, again, frustration. Mm -hmm. You know, as you saw in the news, they were trying to get bail for him. And one of the uh where he was supposed to stay is a lady that works for the Salvation Army that's working with people that are going through human trafficking and she's going to bring him into her house while he's on bail. Her daughter is married to him is one of the wives. She's indigenous, you know, and I'm sitting there going, when is this going to stop? Sure. You know, and I, and I said before that I wanted to address the, the indigenous men too. Um, you know, at the powwows and stuff like that, um, they honor him. They put him on a pedestal. They, they knew what was going on. Yep. Why didn't they protect us? You know? Mm -hmm. You they, know, um, and, and I'm just going to say this, especially for our listeners, like we have so many folks who haven't gone through a healing journey. So they are so open and susceptible to cult belief system, patriarchal belief system. I mean, I've seen our own women shame other women on the length of their ribbon skirts, right? Like taking in that colonial concept and imposed it onto our children and, and our girls and such. So like, I think this is the generation, this is the time that we're like calling this out and saying no, no more of this Christian colonial policing that you all do. And let's get it out of our ceremonies. But there's still a lot of uh, so-called respected elders that are male in this community. We have a safety plan, my daughter and I, for one that is like it held in high regard, who 
is guilty of doing awful things to the children, but knowing the children have no recourse, having, you know, the legal system stacked against them, racism, all of the things. So this is where we're at as a society. We have, we, my daughter and I have to have the safety plan because we know the police and the legal system will not protect her or me for that matter. So, um, you know, and, and yet, because white people don't understand trauma, they don't understand their own crap. They just allow these folks to flourish. And the men know that they can make the money by perpetuating this. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've seen many, many men, um, they're so romanticized by especially white women and white women in positions of power. So it goes to their head and they haven't dealt with their trauma. So mm-hmm. yeah, and our, our women and our two spirit, our children are the most vulnerable as a result of all of this. So I really think you've encapsulated, encapsulated a lot of that in a good way. And I hope I added to what you're saying. Yes, you did perfectly because um, it just um, made me think about um, how, you know, a lot of these people that are, are hurting and are, you know, trying to find their way and trying to, like, I'm doing my healing journey. I'm sure you're doing your healing journey, but a lot of them aren't. So who do they go to? They go to the medicine man, right? You know, so, all of these hurt people. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, we're both kind of on the same page. And I want to let you speak because I, I, I get to speak all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I you know, I'm going to tell a story. Um, I have a friend um, and she went to a, a medicine man and uh, she was hurting. She, you know, is an essay survivor too and went to him for, for help and you know, uh, about a year later, after, you know, seeing him for, you know, um, for healing, I guess, um, she finally, you know, told me, Bren, I'm seeing him. And I'm like, well, that's, that's good, you know, you know, that he can, you know, help you with this and um, speak to you on this. Um, And she's like, no, Bren, I'm seeing him. So she goes to go see him starts that you know healing stuff I guess with him but then turns around and he starts to have a sexual relationship with her (laughs) I was just I had tears streaming down my my eyes I'm just like here's my friend that is so broken so broken and needed that help and what does this man do? Turns around and starts to have a sexual relationship with her. So I listened to her and I finally had to tell her, do you know he's married? And she said, oh no, they're not, not anymore. No, Brad, no. And I'm like, I know for a fact, I know this man, I know this family, he's married. So just the damage that he did, yeah. you know, we're supposed to be here to help each other, right? She went, she, she uh, grew up with the non-Indigenous family too, went through the essay, went through all that, you know, was trying to reconnect and this happens to her and it just angers me so much. Yes, I'm and, with you. Yeah, and when I see, see him in community, I don't address them. I don't. And you kind of touched a little bit on it before, where if the women say anything, they'll get bullied, they'll get harassed from everybody else. Why aren't you listening to the, the girl? Why aren't you listening to what she went through? But you're going to put this person on a pedestal because mm-hmm. he's a medicine man? You know, we're hurting each other now. Yes. And that is so wrong. I get so angry when people do that. You know, I'm before I started all of this healing stuff, I was right in there. I'll take accountability for that. And I've done that to a lot of people where, you know, I've gone to them later and said, I'm so sorry I did this. You know, I shouldn't have did this. I was so wrong for doing it. Accountability to me has the utmost respect because you did wrong, but then you went back and said, sorry, and said, I did this wrong. 
So, yeah, but we you don't know, now might be a good time to bring up something called a 13th stepper. Okay. And I, I, I want to bring that up because I think a lot of our folks who are trying to, you know, overcome addiction and do the strong thing, mm -hmm. um, don't recognize that it, it's not just our men, it's all men <laughs> who, yeah, who, yes. who are like not dealing with their trauma. So mm -hmm. what is a 13 stepper for a lot of folks know this uh, Christian imposed model of so-called recovery is, uh, you know, AA and, um, they have 12 steps, but there's now something called a 13th stepper. So I encourage people to Google it. And basically what you will find is a predator, a predator who's going to capitalize on somebody else's hurt, pain, trauma, suffering. And imagine you're, you've gone through awful things. You've gone through addiction. You're trying to do recovery. And some predator comes in at one of your most vulnerable moments and, and do exactly what Bryn just described this medicine man was doing, where, you know, he wants to start a sexual relationship in the middle of your healing journey. And I, I try to warn, especially women and two-spirit, because, uh, you know, here you are, you're in a really vulnerable moment. A lot of people go to recovery and are, are just trying so hard to stay sober, but trying to deal with the trauma while going through it. And it's so hard and it's so triggering and, and healing is so difficult. And then you have some predator come and capitalize on this moment. So I, I just wanted to um, throw that out there for anyone who is maybe new into recovery, dealing with their trauma, or if you're non-Indigenous who are completely oblivious to any of this, you've never had to you know, go through recovery addiction, deal with the 13th step or deal with uh, the legal system essay, like you, you have no idea the amount of, um, you know, pressure it is to say no and to create boundaries when a lot of trauma, addiction, recovery is all about boundaries being totally broken over the course of the life and learning how to make those boundaries. So I uh, just wanted to throw that out there too, to add to what Bryn is saying. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I know what 13 stepping is. Um, I also kind of want to address something else because um, I, I did talk to a, a couple of family members saying that I'm going to be doing this native um, Calgarian podcast. And maybe you and I can kind of discuss this one. I think a lot of people are afraid to come forward on this because, again, they they, they, um, the medicine man and holy man, they hide the, the highest regards. They, they, they hold them up the highest regards. So once you expose a person, all the other people are going to come back and say to you, how could you do that? You know, he's, he's a medicine man. He's a holy man. And, you know, trouble is going to come to you now because you did that. And I sat for the longest time going, how do I address this? Like, mm -hmm. how do I, you know, because now there's going to be possibly societies. I don't know that are going to be like this you shouldn't have said anything. Yeah, I know. And that, you know, that's why I wanted to do the podcast because mm -hmm. we, we can't protect um, pedophiles, predators anymore. One mm -hmm. and two people need to know what spiritual abuse is. Mm -hmm. We've seen the spiritual abuse through the Christian lens, yeah, but we have abuse as well. And I wanted to tell the story that people may not, may not know. Um, I fell really deep into Buddhism at one point in time because I, I hadn't gone the red road and I knew Christianity wasn't for me and I wanted to live a better peaceful life of balance. And then I found out even Buddhists can be spiritually abusive. And I'm like, how is that even possible? So if you have a person with a disability, maybe a blindness and they're homeless, like people will literally throw rocks at them and tell them, um, whatever you did in a past life must have caught up to you. And now you have a disability. And I was, uh, I was horrified when I heard that. And I, I, I don't know why, um, you know, we, well, I do know why. And our next guest is going to be a cult member uh, specialist, this person who, who talks about that. Uh, because, you know, we, we need to hold on to something that makes us feel whole and peaceful and such. And especially if we've gone through lots of trauma. And um, so like spiritual abuse can happen no matter what type of uh, deity or, or whatever we believe in. Um, you know, sick men are supposed to be like, you see a turban, you go to them because they are good people and they're trying to do the right thing. But there's sexual abuse and, and issues there too. Like, I mean, we're, we're only human people. 
right? And I think what people have to remember is that um, like there is a predator that I never want to be around, but at the end of the day, he's a language keeper, mm. right? So if he writes a book, at least I know he's not a predator. <laughs> he, mm. He's not, not being able to prey on people, but at least he can write about the language, right? So um, the my hope is that people will start understanding what spiritual abuse is, what good positive boundaries are, because I, I don't believe our holy people should be hurting people right mm. i i don't claim to be one i don't even claim to be a great auntie i'm just trying to just trying to heal mm -hmm. and all i can do is that example in the hopes that the next generations will be kind of focused on there but if something is hurting you then it is not positive in any capacity like we we are human beings we need to be respected we need to have our boundaries respected and spiritually we should not be misusing our spirituality to hurt each other Mm -hmm. because then we're no better than the catholic church we're no better than the christian belief system we're no better than the buddhists who abuse um you know folks with disabilities right like it's everywhere and we all have to be cognitive of what spiritual abuse is and that's what i would say um this concept of bad medicine of course that's a real thing but we also know that if um some so-called holy person is going to inflict bad medicine it's going to come back at them 10 times worse yep. right so all I can do is conduct myself in the best way I can, protect uh, women, girls, two-spirit the best I can by educating them on 13-steppers, spiritual abuse, um, and just be frank and honest about it. Um, I wish the colonial system would change so that our legal system would catch up and protect us, but it's not. So until then, we have to create our own safety plans. We have to educate each other to make sure that we know when somebody's being spiritually abusive, or when a 13th stepper is trying to come at us and call that person out. Yep. No, I, I agree. I, I agree with everything that you're saying there. That spiritual abuse is, it's horrible. It's, um, it's prevalent. It's, you know, ramp, rampant in, uh, in our world right now, uh, both indigenous and non-indigenous. Um, you did touch a little bit about uh, the legal system. I, I worked in the legal system and I watched girls that, you know, finally got the strength to, you know, come out and say, yes, this person hurt me um, and go through the court system where they were torn apart. Yeah. Torn apart. You know, well, why did you wear that? Why did you, you know, sit there? Why did you have so many beers or drinks you wouldn't be in this position if you would have you know done would have done this and i get so angry when they do that because it took a lot for this girl to finally find the strength get this guy off the street so no more people will be hurt and i don't understand why the legal system doesn't think of that same thing with the nathan case wasn't there a case back in Fort Peck in 2005? It's now 2023. Yeah. You know, if we don't stop this now, it's just going to keep continuing, keep continuing. We're going to have more women that are going to be so hurt. And, you know, with this human trafficking, I'm just, uh, it's a billion dollar industry people are making you know so much money off trafficking our women i once noticed on facebook and i i was asking someone i can't remember who it was an older person than me i'm like i'm noticing on facebook a lot of people are posting um you know their daughter's missing um can you know help us find our daughter this, this is we're talking uh, i don't know about seven years ago and I was like, why are all these, you know, daughters missing? And this older person said to me, well, what I heard, Bren, is a lot of the, our young gals, we're talking 13, 14, are on our reserve. There's really nothing on the reserve for them. Like, you know, they're sitting at, at their home there. Um, and so they start meet people online. Online is very dangerous. You know, I always tell everyone, be careful what you say online. Um, because it's gonna come back to haunt you. And what I mean by be careful is like, don't name names. If you're, you know, 
getting uh, into that drama stuff or whatever, or someone hurts you, just be careful on that, that way. Um, anyhow, what happens is these our young, beautiful girls are talking to people online. And then this guy will tell them, you know, come to Calgary, come to Edmonton. Girl will get, or somehow get them to Calgary or Edmonton, take them in, you know, spend a whole bunch of money on them, take them shopping, take them to dinner, all this, put them in a hotel. And then probably within a couple of days, start feeding drugs into them, injecting drugs into them. And then next thing, the girls put out. And that just floored me because I'm in the legal field. This is when I was in the legal field. And I didn't even know about this. Mm -hmm. So again, be careful with your kids when they're online. There's so many predators out there and they're so hidden. And what before it was so hidden, but now they have so much access to our kids. You know, they're now in white bands or saying white bands and going on to, you know, our reserves and grabbing our kids. They're being so bold now mm -hmm. because they know the legal system will protect them. A hundred percent. They know that. And, you know, if you read the Truth and Reconciliation Commission reports, the volumes of books and the uh, MMIW inquiry report, the two volumes of that, like it, it's very clear how the 60s scoop, which is in practice today in 2023, mm -hmm. you know, steal our children, apprehend them, um, put them in abusive foster homes, uh, put them in abusive homes. And then, you know, they at about when they're starting to discover their sexuality, um, you know, they themselves end up leaving their own um, homes wherever they were put, even group homes are abusive. And, uh, and then they'll, the social services will be like, okay, well, we'll pay for a hotel. And that's like the start of it. Predators are all around these hotels. They know when they're like a 15 year old indigenous girl with no family, no friends, no um, community, no nobody. They're such an easy target. They're such an easy one to go after. And um, and even like it, it's hard for me. So, you know, I'm part of the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Committee. There are a lot of family members who want their to abuse a child and want them back and do that missing report and that so even for me sometimes I'm careful about who I would share who's missing because who's really looking for them conversely what I usually find nine nine times out of ten is that it's a, a family whose child was apprehended without just cause mm -hmm. they have been trying to get them back but can't because the legal system is absolutely against us and then the child goes missing out of the foster home, the group home, whatever. And they're the only ones who give a shit to look. So, you know, that that's usually the case nine times out of 10 that I find. And um, by then it might be too late. And, and, you know, addiction is something that it can be forced, like you were saying, I, I know a lot of little white girls who have that same story. Um, you know, it can be forced, but for most, um, you know, of Indigenous people struggling, we've had so many pieces of colonial trauma over the course of our life. And the, and the addiction is the only way to just try to numb it for a minute, right, to try to live some kind of happiness, because like, as we said, it is really hard for you and I to be happy. Mm -hmm. Because the moment we start feeling that happiness is that moment where like, something mm -hmm. bad's gonna happen, because something bad always happens. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. constantly so so like that that's that's the cycle the cycle of abuse that we're, we're in in our own in our own minds which is why I highly recommend if you are indigenous take the therapy that is available because we all need it and it, it needs to be ongoing whether it's from and and hopefully it is uh, maybe a BIPOC person, maybe somebody who has some kind of concept of racism, some kind of concept of colonialism, because I've been to therapists that don't, and that then becomes another trauma. And the other thing that bothers me is the amount of free education I'm forced to give, whether it's a pharmacist, a doctor, a nurse, a health professional, uh, whatever, like you, they just don't even know us right? They don't have no concept and giving that free emotional labor, giving that free education, like that shouldn't be okay anymore. And yet we're still here. 
So um, I just want to throw all that out as well and, and, and just let you add to anything you think I might have, uh, you can add to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, also, I, I kind of want to talk about, again, I love how we're speaking here because some of the things that you're saying kind of pops things into my head that I'm like, oh, yes, yes. You know, um, you touched on it about family. Um, I know when I was essayed by my, my foster, well, he was my adoptive dad. I don't know why I call it my foster dad, but anyhow, my adoptive dad. And I did tell my mother and she didn't, she didn't believe me. Um, and she must've told, um, my adoptive dad. And so he basically told his family. Brent saying this, it's not true. So what happens next? I got ostracized by my family. Yeah. My adoptive family. Yeah. You know, I was told one of the, one of my cousins reached out to me like just two, two years ago. And, you know, I noticed that he, he, he contacted me through Facebook and then, you know, slowly was talking to me. I remember him as a, a, a child. Um, I walked away from my family the minute I, you know, said, you know, my dad did this to me. Yeah. And um, so he, he reached out to me and finally he sent me a message and I was really tired that day. And he's like, I really need to talk to you. I really need to talk to you. And I said, can we do another day? I'm, I'm really tired. And he's like, I really do need to talk to you. And I said, okay, I'll, I, I'll talk to you. But right now I can't really give you advice because I'm really tired. And that's when he told me that basically my uncles, my aunts, my grandparents at that time, and I'm using those terms used um, loosely right now. Um, they were told, you know, to my my cousins and them, Brent's bad. Brent's a black sheep. Brent drinks. Brent does this. And they all ostracized me too. Mm -hmm. And when my grandparents passed away, they were very, very well-to-do, extremely well-to-do. Um, all the the grandkids um, and the sons, because they had four sons. And the my adoptive dad passed away, I think 2006 from cancer. And um, all, everybody got an inheritance except me. Yeah. I don't care. Surprised. Yeah, I'm, I don't care shit about the money, <laughs> whatever. But what got to me was the grandkids got it too. So my my son didn't get it. It's not the money. It's the fact that they also ostracized him because of me standing up. And, you know, when I was talking to someone else regarding this case, and it was an Indigenous man, he said, basically, Nathan Chasing Horse is R. R. Kelly. Yeah. You know, 2006, they said what was going on. No one listened. And I think, because I, I always sit and think about all this stuff that's happening. I think the only way we're going to ever stop this shit that's going on is awareness by podcasts like you're doing, Michelle. By, I think it was years ago, we had the four ladies that, what is it? I don't know more. Yeah. We had the ladies down in the States. Me too. I remember on Facebook, I hashtag me too. <clears throat> we're now doing the murdered and missing indigenous women the march they just had one you said yesterday huge one in vancouver huge Major. One. yeah yep. i was seeing it on tv and i think the only way we're going to stop this is if all us women get together and say enough is enough agreed agreed my friend um i i think oh god what you said was so wonderful I appreciate you sharing it because I don't think we talk enough in Canada about the awful harm, harmful effects of this incredible 60 scoop apprehension, child apprehension uh, system and how it creates so much racism. And, and even in my family, so I wasn't 60 scoop, but I had um, uh, a step family and we don't talk about racism. We don't talk about what it's like having, you know, white side of the family and how hard that racism can be at times. And, um, and especially if you're a 60 scooper, then you're already different, mm -hmm. right? 
they're supposed to be looking at you as, oh, oh, we're such a kind family. And because you don't appreciate it, we're going to withhold love. We're going to withhold money, wealth, even though they literally stole your land. So any wealth that they've accumulated is at the, your expense, frankly, and now of SA, right? Like, so, so there's a lot to unpack there, which is why I highly recommend, you know, BIPOC therapists, because you're dealing with internalized racism, colonial racism, family dynamics of racism. Like <laughs> we have, we're not talking about that. So you, you put SA into it and gendered violence, you know, like this patriarchy, how it protects itself with legal, like the legal system, you know, these are things we need to discuss how um, the SA is awful. The family dynamic from SA is awful. And then the legal system ripping you apart, trying to do character assassination with after 400 years of character assassination against all indigenous and all women anyway, mm -hmm. right? So yeah, the, the odds are so stacked against us. And that's why we need to talk about it because we need other girls to know, we know you, we, we see you, we hear you, we know what you're going through. It's not okay, it's not right. And these reports like 1996, RCAP had recommendations for changes for the legal system. Every freaking year, their own system, their own accountability system has recommendations they never implement, let alone the TRC legal section, let alone the MMIW legal section. You know, so like, and, and these people, they, they don't even want to get the education. They're willing to fight that here in Alberta, right? It's like, it, it's so incredible to me how many odds are stacked against us as Indigenous women, and especially ones who, uh, I mean, we are so disproportionately attacked because mm -hmm. everyone knows they can get away with it and it's not okay. So I, I applaud you. I think it's a really courageous for you to be willing to come onto this podcast to talk about this with me because... Um, you know, it, kids need to know, they need to hear it. And of course, this is your land and people need to know that too. And your voice and, and Blackfoot, Blackfoot women, they, their voices need to be heard. And then our new treaty partners from 1877, their voices need to be heard in this area. So to me, it was such an honor to talk to you about these things. So I thank you, Bryn, for, for being brave enough and courageous enough to talk about this in a good way. And no, um, I'm healing, you're healing, we're all healing but we've never been given the mic before. Nope. So that is why we need to do this. And, and ironically in the MMIW report, they talk about that. They talk about mainstream media and even the way they talked about this Nathan chasing horse issue just upset me so much. There, was, there were white women talking about it when they don't even know what they're talking about when it comes to racism and colonialism, let alone what it's like to be us trying to say, hey, I've been hurt by this person. No concept of it. Because they, they don't even want to deal with their own racism, their own colonialism, mm -hmm. let alone amplify our voices. So uh, is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up and start giving resources here? Um, I, I would like to add to the ladies out there and the two-spirited that reach out to people that you trust um, and really observe, you know, if certain people say, go to this person. Like before they were saying, go to Nathan, really observe what they're doing. Don't go by someone's word. I, I always tell everybody, be observant of everybody. I sit back and I'm watching people. I watch their actions. I watch how they present themselves. And those are the people that, you know, um, I'm wary of if they're not in a good way on I'm also really into energy too. And like I said before, as an SA survivor, we sense stuff. I feel it in my stomach. I don't know if you do, but if there's someone around me that's not good, I feel it in my stomach. Yeah. So we already kind of have those feelers out there. Yeah. And we need to stop what's going on because they don't seem to understand that the minute they hurt out, uh, a girl, an indigenous girl, an indigenous woman, especially like I first was essayed when I was five years old. I often wonder what I would have became if that ever didn't happen to me. 
Mm -hmm. because I know when they did the 60 scoop um, engagements and we sat in circles and I went to the to the apology that Rachel Notley um, did and she actually quoted what I said and when I was doing the engagement I told them I don't I don't know what love is yeah I don't understand it sure what a sad world not to understand what love is I understand it now you know that's from healing so I just want to tell the people out there that you know the women the two-spirited something doesn't feel right please observe people please observe what they're doing don't go by what people say to you couldn't agree that's my more. final thought Oh, I'm so glad. Thank you, Bryn. And and how would people um, who maybe want cultural teachings from you uh, in the business sense or anything, do you have a website or, or a way that you like to get um, be in touch with so that people can know? I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. I have a huge following on LinkedIn. My Facebook is family. I don't let anybody else on that. I'm slowly going back on to TikTok to do some stuff. There's some drama on there that I had to get away. But I think the best way you can get a hold of me is on LinkedIn. I do a lot of stuff on there. I I say a lot of stuff. And I remember this one gentleman came up to me at the stampede and he's like, I follow you on LinkedIn, friend. And I'm like, oh, okay. I like what you say. Sometimes you just, you know, are really blunt, but then other times you come in really tender and, and you, you say stuff like that make you think. And that, I, I like that. I like that. I, I got people thinking and people talking. Yes. Yes, mm -hmm. and I like that too. And I'm so grateful to be able to get you to come on here and, and just show a different, because you know, to me, if there's the biggest thing I've learned about our world in 2023, it's all about algorithms. Mm -hmm. So if we can get um, you platformed on different algorithms so that those folks see there is still benefit to LinkedIn. <laughs> That's what I want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So thanks so much, Bryn. I appreciate it. Now I'm going to give a bunch of resources and Bryn, please feel free to jump in and hop in. If you hear me give something and you're like, oh, you know what else is really good? This one, because I, those are things that I, I think that we add and we, we empower each other more than anything because yep. I'm old. I need my glasses. I can't read nothing anymore. <laughs> my vocals. My vocals. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Okay. Oh, so I wanted to encourage people, um, uh, we have a podcast that will be coming out from our last book club, a really good podcast about, uh, or a really good book club about um, Clayton Thomas Muller's book. And our next uh, book club will be uh, chapters 11 of the National Inquiry into MMIW. So that will be coming in March. And then again, if, if you're local, we have a reconciliation action group, but if you are not local, there are reconciliation action committees all over the world or all over the country. So, so be a part of them because if you're not acting, you're not actually doing the work because guess what? This is a Canadian issue. And the fact that Canadians don't see their responsibility in this and, and see the importance of indigenous led reconciliation, like this is where we're at. So start acting if you're listening. And thank you for listening. <laughs> I'm proud that this podcast has given solutions and cultural safety training, cultural first aid, and all of them to create a safer space for Indigenous people of color, folks with disabilities, and LGBTQ2 to speak. I want to say thank you to authors Cheryl Ward, Chelsea Branch, and Alicia Fritkin of heretohelp.bc.ca of what is Indigenous cultural safety why, and why I should care about it. Their work are those cultural action tools. So please support Indigenous work like that as part of your reconciliation and settler understandings. I'm just lucky enough to highlight and repeat them here. Now, Brenda and I, I think, really talked a lot about what internalized racism and lateral violence is. Um, there's a great resource at racialequitytools.org by Donna Bevins called What is Internalized Racism? Like, there should be books and books on this. So folks, read it. It's it's a lot of information, but it's worth it. Do's and, and, and especially if you're, you are um, a person of a marginalized uh, group, I very rarely blame other people who are because of the structure of racism. When you really understand what white supremacy is, so much bigger than just KKK white supremacy stuff, um, then you understand why we are in the situation we're in. Uh, do's and don'ts for bystander intervention by American Friends Service Committee, so AFSC.org. Um, so if you're seeing somebody, and I mean, I just shared a friend of mine uh, who, experienced a C-train interaction who was native and nobody stood up and did anything. 
This is what we need people to do. Do look at bystander intervention so that you can help us in those moments. Indigenous have been talking about our issues and our traumas in reports, commissions, public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more, honor our words, honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the marginalized in their uh, budget with gender equity plus, if they're cutting uh, violence prevention programs, indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, lack of human rights for immigrants, folks with disabilities, know that your vote to that party directly negatively impacts marginalized people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action. The recommendations of the Royal Commission on the Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports about child welfare reform, violence prevention, and now 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit. Provincially in Alberta, the Kenny government created 113 pathways to justice. So all you blue voters should be holding your blue MLAs to account on it. Follow the Premier's Council on missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls work. Municipally, we have the White Goose Flying Report. Denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the uh, educational health justice institutions with multiple reports that say the same thing. Demand change from these election platforms and politicians. If they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, sexism, gendered violence, they have zero business running. It should be understood by everyone. And it's, it's beyond that. It's community organizations, sports clubs, Google articles on how non-Indigenous Canadians can become allies. Uh, Stephanie Harp and I had an emergency podcast in the hopes we can reach our allies to write and do more on the crisis we're facing. So sign up at aboriginalalert.ca. You can also go to the Missing Children's Society of Canada and download the app. Um, there's a wonderful statement that came out that her and I were talking about, about demanding urgent action to protect the lives of Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit experiencing homelessness. You can go to womenshomelessness.ca to read that. I wrote my city councillors, and last night when they actually, this is shocking, this is late, this breaking news. Calgary City Council actually showed up to the MMIW march for the first time in 15 years. Wow. So I held them to account. I said, return my email. Why aren't you returning my email? Jesus. So if you know anybody who's using substances, one, don't use alone. If you are using alone, contact the National Overdose uh, Response Service at 1-888-688-NORS for support. There's two apps that you can download, the Braves and the Doors app. These are things that matter to me because just like I was telling Bryn, I have a safety plan with my daughter in case she's in an unsafe place. This is the best way we can do that is to try to create the best safety plans we can while we're using these substances because you matter, your life matters, and all of the things that led you to this moment is why this is happening. And we wanna help you get sober, clean, but definitely stay alive. Um, if you are experiencing emotional distress after anything we talked about, please call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 855-242-3310. It's toll-free. It's open 24 days uh, or 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And they also have a website, hopeforwellness.ca, and it has a text option if that's the best way for you. If more related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit, you can call 844 844- 413-6649. Again, it is a 24-7 crisis call line that's providing support. For non-Indigenous, there are distress center lines in your area and a functioning two-on-one, but you can also call 833-456-4566, and you can go to crisisservicecanada.ca for even more resources. If you are a 60 scoop in Alberta, there's actually a website, ssisa.ca, and you can go hashtag survivor driven if you're interested in more about that. The following are two SLGBTQ crisis support lines available in most areas across Canada. So you can go to lifevoice.ca where they have tons of crisis supports. The Trans Lifeline is 877-330-6366. And the Trevor Project is 866-844. 7386. Violence is my everyday reality. 
every Indigenous generation has faced it. This is self-care, how we take our power back. Um, you know, really going after mainstream media and their lack of understanding of our issues. Uh, it's to speak freely without interruption, tone police, leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear my opinion, but they sure want to tell us their ignorance by not knowing anything about us, colonialism, constant surveillance of our people, protest, vigil, and our rights. I and many others share so many issues that happen every day, and it's unacceptable anymore. Learn about being trauma-informed. And I think Brenda and I talked a lot more about that today. Mm -hmm. Folks like me are dealing with internalized racism and gatekeepers that survive off the status quo. And I think Brenda and I talked about that really well today. Um, they stop people from doing the good work and they deplete all of the personal resources. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for me, Indigenous people, mm -hmm. folks with disabilities, LGBTQ2+, and others. Masi Cho to my ancestors, to my granny, my mom, and what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt, my stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian roots, and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. Through her, I am a second generation Calgarian. Uh, thank you to my husband, Darcy, a uh, big Buffalo Rockman, for producing and editing this show. On top of being my husband, my childhood friend, the father of our child, and support down my journey of the Red Road, he has witnessed decades of racism and sexism that I face. And to our child, Thunderpipe Necklace Woman, we are blessed to learn from you daily, and we are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. I hope my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of us trying to discuss these issues. My patron account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you to previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or questions. You can go to nativecalgarian.com, or you can go to the pin post on social media. And I put out uh, for my birthday wish that I'd like to go to Ottawa for May 4th. And if you'd like, you can make a one-time donation to help me run for the Indigenous Peoples Commission female co-chair if you can donate. Um, but I will say we have absolutely have enough that I'll be able to get an airplane ticket. So thank you. Thank you folks for letting me be able to do this. And I want to end by giving side eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not tradish. And my beautiful cousin responded, or yeah, be in my dish. Thank you so much, folks, for listening.